the central reality of Christianity, what that means for us as believers. Because today we have a risen Savior, we have forgiveness, we have life, we have righteousness, we have hope, we have heaven. The Apostle Paul, who was writing shortly after all of the events of the life of Jesus, writes this uh, to the church in the ancient city of Corinth. He says in 1 Corinthians 15, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all of the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. The word you see over and over again appeared. He appeared. He appeared. He appeared after the resurrection from the dead. Verifiable proof that Jesus is now alive. But today my desire is not to seek to prove to you the reality of the resurrection of Jesus. That job's already been done. It's been done adequately. It's been done well. I don't need to rehash all of that for you. My desire instead is to look together with you at just one of those resurrection appearances. In fact, it's the very first one that we find recorded in Scripture after Jesus' death, after His burial, after His resurrection, the very first person to whom He appears. Now, I just wonder, if, if we were going to make up the story, if we were going to write it ourselves without worrying about the truth, who, who do you think we might have had Jesus appearing to? To whom would we have put in our story the first person that Jesus shows up to after His resurrection? Maybe, maybe we would be sentimental and emotional and we would have Jesus appear before Mary, his mother, to show that he's alive again. Perhaps we would have Jesus appearing to Peter or James or, or John, those, those apostles with those fraternal ties of discipleship in closeness of relationship to Jesus. Maybe we would have Jesus appear before Herod or, or Caiaphas or Pilate in vindication of his promise to rise again, to say, see, I told you what would happen. And it is what's happened. But instead, his first appearance was to one person who, really on the surface, seemed to be one of the most undistinguished of all of his followers. Her name is Mary. She's from the town called Magdala. That's why oftentimes she's referred to in Scripture as Mary Magdalene. Her home in, in Magdala, it's, it's a little nondescript village about seven miles away from the seaside town of Capernaum in the region of Galilee. 
Luke, in, in his biography of Jesus in that gospel, tells us that Mary Magdalene had once been demon-possessed, and Jesus has delivered her from all of that. And so walk with me through the background of the recent events here. Jesus has been arrested by the Roman authorities. He's been beaten. He, he has been scourged. He's been crucified. Mary Magdalene and the other women come very early to the place where Jesus was buried. They come to the tomb there. They notice that the stone has been rolled away, been moved from the entrance into the tomb. And so they run to tell John and Peter, and then they run back to the tomb, and they find the body of Jesus missing from its place. That's where we pick up in the Gospel of John chapter 20. Read with me this morning, beginning in verse 10. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. I want you to look with me this morning at this one to whom Jesus appeared in his very first resurrection appearance. And notice that first of all, Jesus appeared to one whose love was unhindered. He appeared to one whose love was unhindered and her love was even unhindered by death. Look again at verse 10 with me. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. Peter and John had come to the tomb as well, but now by this time, along with all of the others, they had left. We read in verse 10 that, that they went back to their homes, but not Mary. Mary stayed there at the tomb. The reality of the resurrection was first for one who was so in love with Jesus that she would not, she could not leave that tomb enshrouded in the semi-darkness of the Jerusalem sunrise. We read that she stood there weeping at what was taking place. Her love for Jesus compelled her to be wherever it was that Jesus was. And even death itself would not stand in the way of that love for Jesus. How so unlike us this is at times. How unlike me this is in my life. I know Him to be alive. And yet so often I wander away from Him. 
And here is Mary believing him to be dead, but still wanting to be near where her Lord was. Her love for him was not hindered by difficulties as well. You discover that in verse 15 when Jesus says to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And supposing him to be the gardener, look at what she says to him. Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. Notice the response of Mary. She says, I will take him away. There is within this statement an uncalculating love and devotion to this very one that she thought was gone forever. She didn't ask the questions that we might ask. Why? When? How? Where? She didn't stop to say, how can I do this? Here here she was. A a woman overwhelmed with her emotions, weeping at the tomb. The thought of carrying around a a full-grown man, dead weight upon her shoulders, never entered into her thoughts. She didn't ask where. Where can I take the body? What other grave could I possibly use? Even Jesus didn't have his own grave. He had to borrow one from a friend, Joseph of Arimathea. She didn't ask when she might do this. She she didn't, didn't even enter into her mind to think that as the sun was beginning to rise on that Galilean landscape, when would she be able to escape the watchful eye of the Roman authorities and the guards who would soon come to replace those who had fallen asleep? No, Mary's was a love and devotion which said, no matter what the difficulties, I must be with Him. I wonder today as we look at this and we look into the life of Mary, is our love and our devotion for Jesus the same as hers? Can you say to the risen Christ this morning, no matter what the difficulties are that I may encounter, I must be with you. I must be with you, Jesus, no matter what comes my way. I must simply be with you. What was the basis of that kind of love for Mary? Well, it's the same as the basis for the kind of love that we would have for him as well. Where does that kind of love come from? Well, Mary had been set free by the forgiveness and the grace of Jesus Christ. And he was the only one who could set her free. And because she had been loved so much, she loved in return this one who had died for her. This one who had extended grace and forgiveness when no one else would. And today, friends, I want to tell you, He can do the exact same thing for you today. He can extend grace. He can extend forgiveness. Your sin can be removed and and forgiveness come to you if you will but repent and trust in the living Savior, Jesus Christ. You can know this kind of love. This kind of love that breaks all sorts of bonds and shackles that holds you enslaved to sin. Jesus can break that. And He can give you life if you will trust in Him. Is it any wonder that her love for Him would be so great? Look at His love for her and you'll understand it. And along with that, look at His love for you. 
Jesus appeared to one whose love was unhindered. Jesus appeared to one who acknowledged him as Lord. Look at verse 12 again. She saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head, one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Lord, they have taken away my Lord. Here Mary comes to the tomb. She had heard Jesus speak with authority as no man had ever spoken before. And now she comes to whisper words of devotion into those ears she thinks cannot even hear her. She came to the grave thinking him to be dead in order to make final preparations for his burial. She had she had seen such indignity heaped upon him in his, in his life and in his cross, and now she would give him a moment of honor in his death. She had, she had seen him refused even the slightest relief in his sufferings. And now she would come and at least prepare that body for burial. Verse 13 is interesting to me. It is her response to the angels. The angels have made the interrogation of her. Woman, why are you weeping? And she says to them, they've taken away my Lord. I don't know where they've laid him. My Lord. What a powerful thing this is to me. We know him to be risen and alive, and we show less devotion to him than she did thinking him to be dead. She would call him Lord, thinking that he was in the tomb, dead. And we struggle to acknowledge him as Lord, knowing that he is alive. What devotion she had. What love she had. He was more her Lord in death than we oftentimes allow Him to be our Lord in life. Think of all that she didn't have that we have to guide her in this. She didn't have the, the complete written Word of God. She didn't have the witness of the apostles. She didn't have the indwelling presence of the Spirit of God. She didn't have 20 centuries of Christian history where millions have confessed faith in the risen Lord. But here now was Mary Magdalene standing alone, weeping in that garden, thinking that he was still in the unrelaxed embrace of death, and yet she calls him Lord. Friends, don't think that you can acknowledge Jesus as Savior without acknowledging Him as Lord. He is Lord. He is Master. And today, some of you, this is the very thing that you need. You need His control in your life. You need the control of the one who has conquered death and sin and hell, and you need Him in your life. Today I would call you again to embrace the risen Savior, Jesus Christ, the Lord of lords and the King of kings, the one who died that your sin might be forgiven and lives that your life might be ruled by righteousness and holiness. Jesus appeared to one whose love was unhindered. He appeared to one who acknowledged him as Lord. And Jesus appeared to one who would accept no substitutes. 
As we've already discovered, when Mary looked into the tomb, she saw the two angels there in white, one at the head, one at the feet where Jesus had been laid. Other gospel writers tell us that when the other women had visited the tomb, they had seen the angels and they were terrified at the sight. It's what we find over and over again in the the writings of Scripture. When one of these angelic creatures appears, there is terror and fear that strikes into the heart of the person before whom they show themselves. We're even told as well in the Gospels that the vision of these angels to the ungodly soldiers that had guarded the grave of Jesus had made them faint, passing out where they stood. But apparently not Mary. She talked with them as if she had seen them before. Even the appearance of these celestial visitors was no substitute in Mary's mind for the presence of the one whom she knew as Lord. The angels appear before her, and she doesn't stand in awe of them. Her cry is still the same, I must have Jesus. Today, many are eager for a religious experience, a a spiritual booster shot, some sort of religious good feeling, a a, a fix of some sort, if you will. It's so refreshing to look back at Mary and see that she would not accept any substitutes for personal communion with Jesus. Even two angels who were sitting in the place before her wouldn't suffice. She said, give me Jesus. If I can't have him, I don't want anything else. In fact, it's astounding in verse 14. Having said this, she turned around. We never find that happening in Scripture. We find all sorts of responses to angels. We see terror. We see awe. We see some bowing down to worship them, being corrected in their false worship. But we never see one turning their back upon one of the angels. And yet Mary turns her back on them. The presence of someone else around them had caught her attention and caused her to turn back and look at the one she supposed was the gardener, the caretaker of the the tomb area there, but who was in fact the risen Jesus Christ. And here's what's amazing to this. In not knowing that this is Jesus, in verse 16 we read that she turned and said to him, you know what this means? The angels appear and she says, I need Jesus. You're not him. And so she turns. She has this encounter with this one she thinks is the gardener. I need Jesus. What have you done with him? Not knowing that it's him, she turns. (laughs) Nothing is going to do for her except to have Jesus. That's all she needed. All that she wanted was to be with Jesus. Friends, that we would do the same thing in our lives, that we would turn our backs on everything else in order to simply follow Jesus Christ. Nothing else will bring the fulfillment that you long for. Nothing else will bring what it is that you need in your life. Never settle for anything short of Jesus Christ. Angels may come, angels may go, but let's have Jesus and Jesus alone. He's the one you need. He is all you need, and only He can satisfy the longing of your soul.
There is nothing else in all of creation that can conquer death and conquer sin. There is no one else who can grant grace and forgiveness and eternal life to you except Jesus. Run to Him. Hold to Him. Search for Him in every part of your life. In this passage before us, we have perhaps the greatest case of mistaken identity in all of history. People say, well, if she loved Jesus so much, how could she possibly not know this was him? Well, friends, put yourself in her position. We read that she is standing there weeping outside the tomb. Not not a, a polite little sadness of a cry. Mourning, wailing, Tears streaming down your face, at times unable to breathe with the emotion of the grief that has overtaken you. If you've ever cried like that, you know that your vision is not exactly what you'd like it to be. And here she is still in the early morning hours, in the misty darkness when the sun is just beginning to rise. Very little light is aiding her in her eyesight, but beyond that, remember, she didn't expect to see Jesus alive. She expected Jesus to be dead in the tomb. No wonder she mistook the gardener, seeing him quite probably at a distance, not expecting it to be Jesus, tears in her eyes, unable to see clearly, very little light to aid in her vision. No wonder she misunderstood what was going on. But look at verse 15. Such a tremendous word of comfort. Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? (laughs) Very first words of the risen Christ. While he was on the cross, Jesus made seven statements that we have looked at historically here within the church. We looked at one of them Friday night in our Good Friday service. First of all, he cried, Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. Then he says to the thief in repentance beside of him, today you'll be with me in paradise. Uh, Then he looks at at his mother and he says, woman, behold your son, entrusting her to the care of the apostle John. And he cries out that cry of anguish of soul, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then he cries out, I thirst. His next statement was the statement of finality. It is finished. And then on the heels of that, he cried out, Into your hands I commit my spirit. And then after those seven statements, the voice of Jesus is silenced. He's in the tomb. No more do you hear him speak. And then finally, there comes this word of personal comfort. Woman, why are you weeping? Think again of what he could have said. He could have made a a theological word to Mary. He could have had a great statement about the significance of his death on her behalf and behalf of all. He could have made a personal word to her. Mary, why, why did my followers all slip into their own shadows when I died? 
He, he could have made a political word, maybe something about Herod, something about Pilate, but he didn't do any of that. His first words were personal words of comfort for someone that he loved so dearly. Woman, why are you weeping? Friends, please understand today, it is only because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ that we can have anything coming even close to comfort or hope within our lives. He provides that here. When Jesus conquered death, when he conquered the grave, he gave to us the wonderful comfort of life with him. Look at this word of recognition here. One of the most profound truths of all that we find in the resurrection. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus speaks to her not merely from an historical fact of the resurrection. It is that indeed. But beyond that, it is related to each and every one of us individually and personally. There's a tremendous word of recognition here. When he calls out, simply speaking her name, Mary. There are many ways that you can say a name. You, you can say a name in an acoustic or an accusatory way, Mary. You can say it in a pathetic way, Mary. You can say it in an appealing way. You can say it in an urgent way, a way that moves to action, Mary! And I think that today, if I could somehow capture all of the emotion and all of the passion of this one word spoken by the risen Jesus to his follower, Mary, I would not even have to preach this morning. Immediately, at the call of her name, she knew it was Jesus. You see, in this moment, he did not stand here in the garden as the Lord of the masses, though he is that. But he stood there, one Lord, one disciple, calling her by name. Just as today, he calls you by name. Have you answered his call on your life? Have you responded like Mary when, when He calls your name to acknowledge that you are His disciple? Mary knew Him. Do you know Him? I don't ask, do you know about Him? So many of us here in this place today, we know about Jesus, we've heard of Him, we, we know all sorts of facts about Him. The question is not, do you know about Him? The question is, do you know Him? You see, that's what the resurrection is about. The resurrection is about people coming to know the risen Savior, being saved by Him, being changed by Him, being transformed by Him like Mary was, conquering death and hell and granting to you who follow Him the hope of life eternal. Do you know Him? 
Have you, have you, have you heard his call upon your heart and your life? Have you responded in simple faith and obedience to him? Jesus appears for the very first time to one who loved him and would accept no substitutes but him. One who knew him as Lord. Today, do you know him as Lord? You see, here's the call to you today. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ, if you've never turned away from your sin and followed after Jesus, today you may. Today you may. Call upon Him. He died in your place that your sins might be forgiven. Acknowledge who He is and what He has done and call upon Him. In faith, acknowledging that He died in your place and that He is your Lord. Discover the difference that Jesus can make. Father, this day we thank You. We praise you today that you have conquered death through your Son, Jesus. We thank you for the hope of eternal life. We thank you for the forgiveness of sin. We thank you, Father, that in the work of Christ, we're able to know you and call upon you as Father. And I pray today for all of us that we would not leave from this place, that we would not take the next breath until we are certain that forgiveness is ours and heaven is ours through the work of Jesus. I pray, Father, now would you speak to hearts and lives. And would you bring us before your throne of grace and mercy that we might see Jesus high and lifted up and sacrifice for our sins, and that we might confess Him as Lord, trusting Him as Savior. Bring us now, Father, to the responses that You would have us make. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. In just a moment, we'll stand together and we'll sing together and we'll invite you to respond. If, if you'd like to know more about what it means to be a follower of Christ, I would love to talk with you more about that. You, you can even come and let me know that and we'll get together and talk more about this. If you'd like to know how to become a member of Boone Trail Baptist Church, would love to talk with you further about that. If there's a response of some nature you need to make this morning, we invite you to come. Let's stand together, let's sing together, and if you need to come, you come.
Lord today, you know Jesus, you're certain of your salvation today, or you're a member of another church somewhere else, or, okay, you ever been baptized, anything of that nature? Okay. Okay, when you were younger, okay, Christ is your Savior. Okay, well, we got you there. We're going to pray with you this morning. We'll let the church know that you're coming for this, and then we'll get together. We'll talk some more about it if you have questions or anything of that nature about what it means to be a member. Does that sound good? Awesome. Father, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for the hope we have in Jesus and the power of his resurrection. And Father, we pray today that as we are united together as people in church, we will have a dramatic impact upon this community for the cause of Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Have a seat here and we'll get a talk for you. very much. Amen. 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 Just want to want to share a, a, a brief uh, word with you uh, this this morning. Justin, Julia, come on up here. Uh, Justin is part of our church family here and uh, and his better half is coming this morning because she wants to unite with the family as well. So we want to share that with you, and you come by and welcome her to Boone Trail this morning as well. Josh, can you dismiss us this morning, please? Going over to, to Matthew's account of the resurrection. In the book of Matthew, it is, it is abruptly a lot of uh, intermediary information. We have the resurrection, we have the guards conspiring to deny the resurrection, and then Jesus appears to the disciples. And this is what he says to them. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Oh, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, to the 
Thanks, Forrest. Sneaking up behind you, watch out. Sneaking up behind you. You okay? Got it? Okay. Will do. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. How are you? Oh, I'm great. You hear that? Oh, yeah, Grammy Tucker, you won't get her back now. Yeah, yeah. I think we're going home and we're going to eat lunch and just kind of chill out. Looking forward to it. We don't get to do that this morning. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you much. Aaron, how are you? I'm tired. How are you? I bet you are. Is your mom doing well? Somebody told me that uh, they said if it's not, he's got a, he's got a twin somewhere. You sing? You don't? Okay, well, it was a bluegrass band. They said he's got a twin. <laughs> well, they said you got to That's where he. So, no, no, not at all. That's funny. That's funny. Well, that's, what, what did the Lord say? Make a noise, pretty will come later. There you go. <laughs> that's all that matters. That's all that matters. Indeed. Indeed. Y'all have a great Easter. Good to see you. Take care. Bye-bye. Oh, thank you. Well, thank you. Appreciate that. Thank you much. Thank you much. Y'all have a Thanks. Gary, have a wonderful Easter. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning. About my elbow? Yeah, what have you done to your elbow? Well, I lost feeling in it. I had surgery like three weeks ago. Oh, my goodness. Hey, man, you too. Good to see you. Thank you.